There we go. Yeah, there we go. Look at all these faces out here today. You guys come out. Yeah, I was, I'm pleasantly surprised here. I didn't know what we were going to expect today, but uh, it's good to see everyone here today. So let me say good morning, and I'm looking forward to uh, today because I got a good message. I think it's going to be fantastic. So um, we are in a series. So we started last week where we were talking about, look at series messing with me here. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Anyways. We are in a series that uh, we started last week, and we were talking about vision. So we initially called it, or we're calling it, Awaken to the Vision. And I put it out there that if we were to ask, or if anyone asked you, hey, what's the vision of Awaken Spokane? This is the church you go to. I don't think anyone could clarify that very well. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with that by any means, but I think it's very important that we understand where we're going as a group, as a team because the scripture talks about Proverbs, where there's no vision, my people will perish. And so it's important for us to all be on the same page, because like I said, it's very encouraging to me, because we really don't have, or haven't really communicated the vision just yet, but as you grab a hold of it, and when people grab a hold of the vision, and when they take that vision, and they run with that vision, then the sky's the limit. And that's the reason why I'm excited for this, because we can really begin to understand and I could communicate this vision to everyone effectively. So I talked about the vision for the church, but within that talk, I trust that everyone could get something that they can apply, not just for the church, but to their life as well. Uh, you may have asked yourself in times past, what is the vision for my life? And I believe I answered a way to define that last week, but I also hope and trust you went home asking yourself the same question. So what is my vision? What is my vision for my job? What is my vision for my marriage? There has to be some kind of vision attached to the things that you're doing. Because if God is calling you to do something, you know what, there has to be vision behind it. And so you have to ask yourself those questions. It's like you can have vision on your job if you believe that God has you in the place of work where you need to be. There has to be some kind of vision there. What is God calling you to do there? It's the same thing in marriage. Married, you need to be asking your spouse, you guys have the conversation. What does God have us together for? There has to be some kind of vision behind it. So I hope that you went home asking those questions because when you have a clear vision, you can achieve great things. With a clear sense of direction, you stay motivated and you stay focused. When you understand where you are going and what you desire to achieve, it creates greater urgency towards your purpose and it keeps you driven. Having a vision is crucial to ensuring your success. And I mentioned this last week, I shared this quote, Steve Jobs once said, if you're working on something exciting that you care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. The vision keeps you going. And if I asked you again, what is the vision for this church? I think that those who were here last week can identify that. We desire a church that is real. We desire a church that is authentic. We desire a church that is a safe place for people to be transparent. That's what we desire as a church. When we get real, that's when God can begin to help in our life. So real people living a real life, serving a real God. Awaken Spokane is a church that inspires people to live real, authentic lives for God. The biggest problem, folks, is this. With vision, for most people, it usually stops right there. 
People can tell you their vision, but people can't tell you how they are going to get there. We had Stacy and I have some friends. Um, we, you know, I don't know their little deal, but they would always tell us, God has called us to be millionaires. <laughs> like, okay, he's called me to that too, all right, you know. But it was their saying, you know what, God has called us to be millionaires. Okay, quick question for you. How are you going to get there? And it stopped right there, okay. <laughs> because they had absolutely no clue. Vision feels good talking about it, but you have to understand there's got to be a how attached to it. There has to be a plan behind how you are going to get there. And I said this last week, and I want, you to, I want you to take note of it again. Just because God has told you something that you are going to do in your life does not mean you are going to get there and does not mean it's going to be successful. There's an element in between what he has said and where you're at now, and that's you. Faith without works is dead, the scripture talks about. So there has to be some action behind the vision on the inside of you. That's just how it works. And so you have to be willing to put some action behind the things that God said. You have to be willing to allow your dream to have legs and live. That's how it has to be. And so you have to put some action behind it. There has to be a how attached to it. There's nothing wrong, folks, with dreaming big, but it cannot stay there. You have to have a plan. There has to be some action behind what you are doing. I have always dreamed, and I still dream of this. I desire to be thin and have a six pack, okay? That is definitely the goal. And I could tell you what things are going to be like when I get there. The only problem is, is there's that in-between that I've been dealing with for the past 40 years, right? <laughs> there is that in-between section that I struggle with, that in-between period from here to there, where I go from a one pack to a six pack, okay? There's always that little problem there. You know, so we got a treadmill uh, for Christmas and I've been running about four to five days a week. This morning, I got up and ran four and a half miles. Yeah, yep. A lot of jiggling on that treadmill, but <laughs> I get up and I do it, you know, got to get up and do it. So I got up, ran and did my ab workout. But the thing about it is on the treadmill, I don't know if you're a treadmill runner in this place or whatever. I don't know what it is. Like, you know, there's your time and then there's God time. And I swear that treadmill operates off of God time. Because you can think like, oh, definitely five minutes has gone by and it's like 30 seconds. <laughs> and you're like, what in the world is up with this God time? Why are you taking so long to get to my five minutes? You know, So I get on the treadmill and it's in our garage and so I'm looking forward while I'm running at a bunch of shelves, okay? So that is not like too inspiring. But I just Im imagine in my head where I want to be. I imagine in my head that I'm running towards the goal because this is my how on how I'm going to get there. So I have to continue to envision the end result. I have to continue to envision where I wanna be. So I can get up and tell you where we're going to be, but you have to understand in between that, there's gotta be a how. There's going to be the things that we have to do as a church in order to get there. So we talked about that, the why behind the vision. You have to be able to have that attached to your vision. There, there should always be a how attached to it. We would always, when I worked for Verizon, we would always forecast and present our plans each quarter for what we're doing for the next quarter. Jillian, you know this, we would always have to forecast what we're going to hit. As we're in Q3, we always had to put a forecast out there, what we're going to hit in Q4, and you know, it was kind of a big thing, but we always had to have that 
um, and you get up in front of your, presenting in front of your boss's boss or whatever, you present your plan, but you can't just say, hey, I'm gonna hit this number or I'm gonna be you know, 10%, 15% up over last year because the question's going to come, tell us how you're gonna get there. And you have to have a plan on how you are going to get there. And if they don't think that your plan sounds good, they're gonna call you on the carpet and they're gonna tell you, you know what, you better rethink this over again because your plan does not sound good. And we'd always have to begin with the plan. So like I said, we've talked about our why behind our vision, and today for the next couple of weeks, we are going to talk about our how. How are we going to be that church that inspires people to be real and authentic before God? Our how, listen folks, our how begins with our core, our center, our focal point. If anyone has spent any amount of time working out, lifting weights, running, they always talk about how your core has to be strong because it affects everything within your body. If you have lousy form lifting, the trainer usually says, because you got a weak core, you got to work on your core. Your technique while you're running is off, you probably have a weak core. You experience tightness in your back and your legs, you probably have a weak core. So they say you got to fix your core, you got to work them muscles in your core, because when your core is strong, everything else around it is going to function properly. And so us as a church, we, we operate by the same mentality, our core. If our core is strong, then everything else around it is going to function properly. Now our core values, I'm going to talk about those in a second, but they are based upon this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Thumb over there in your, your Bible, iPad, or whatever you have there, but thumb over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. And I just want to read this because it's like when we were developing their core, our core, this, this scripture just popped out to me. This is what just hit me here. Paul writing the scripture, and he's making a comparison and contrast based upon the Old Testament and the law and where we're at as New Testament Christians, okay? The old before Jesus, the new with Jesus, Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. And he goes on to say this, when a person, listen folks, when a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. What is he talking about veil? He's talking about the covering over your eyes, the covering that does not allow you to see the glory of God. Your old school weddings or whatever, the bride would always wear a veil, and the, the groom would walk down the aisle, and he would lift up the veil to review uh, to to see the beauty and splendor of his bride. So that's what it's talking about here. When the veil is removed, whenever a person turns to the Lord, when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, no longer is that veil blinding their eyes. Now all of a sudden that veil is removed and they can now see. And then it goes on to say in verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. No longer bondage, but freedom. And then it says this, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is what our core values at this church are based off of right here. And we have three written core values, uh, a fourth that's unwritten, but I want you to take a look at these core values. Gabe's going to put the, the picture of our core values on the screen here. 
These are our three different core values. So we have, I don't know if it's up there yet, but anyways, there we go. Three different core values that are written. Encounter God. We believe, folks, that every person who walks this earth can encounter God. Experience freedom. We believe, folks, that every person deserves to live a life free from sin, condemnation, bondage, spiritually, mentally, physically. And we or embrace community. We believe we should not do life alone. We should not live our lives in isolation, but rather in insulation by embracing the positive impact of community. When I talk about community, I'm talking about us, one another, right? Getting to know one another, developing friendships, developing bonds. We are not meant to do life alone. We have got to learn to embrace community. And unfortunately, too many times we walk around in isolation. And that's where problems begin to, to take effect. So three written core values, encounter God, experience freedom, embrace community. And then the last one we have is unwritten because if, if every church does not have this model or this mentality within their church, then I have to question their ability as a church. But the last one that's unwritten is evangelism. We are a church that is built on evangelism. Simply put, we are all about the advancement of the gospel, sharing our faith, planning churches, giving people the opportunities in life. But our evangelism is this, guys. Our evangelism is for us to create those full circle opportunities for people to encounter God, for people to experience freedom, and for people to embrace community. That is what we are here to do. Give people those full circle opportunities in their life to experience who God is, to have the veil removed and experience what freedom feels like in their life maybe for the first time feel like or experience what it feels like to have a community of believers around them, lifting them up, supporting them, helping them achieve their goals, helping them walk out their vision. That's what we are here to do, and it is our job to go and spread that gospel. That's why we are here, to advance the gospel, to advance the kingdom of God. That's why we are taking up a church plant offering at the end of the month. Because we want to advance this gospel. This is who we are, and this is what we are here to do. And so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks, we are going to take a look at these, at these core values, at the vision behind them, and what it means to have an encounter with God, what it means to experience freedom, what it means to embrace community, and then ideally what it means to be an evangelist. So let's take a look at these. So what does it mean to have an encounter with God? Encountering God's presence and grace is life-changing. It will transform your life in ways that are beyond your imagination. I would never have believed my life would be the way it is. Once I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my gosh, my eyes were opened. It was transformative. And it was very, very, very evident but you know, I was at college and I came home one weekend and people, I didn't even really talk to them much, my old friends or whatever. And they'd be like, there's something different about you. I don't know if I want to hang out with you anymore, <laughs> you know, because something had changed. Something immediately changed. 
And so encountering God's presence is a life-changing thing. True salvation, folks, creates change. True repentance creates commitment. Things change. I could remember when I was about 14, I came home from school one day and there was this track on the table. And I don't know if you know what a track is, but right, people would pass those things out. It's usually like, you know, a track or burn, you know, turn or burn, you know, that type of stuff, whatever, you know. Some of them are not the great tracks. Or, or you get that person that goes out to a restaurant and they tip a waiter with a fake $100 bill and on the inside, oh, Jesus loves you and great, you just stiffed me of a tip, you know. <laughs> I want to come to your church, you know. And so there was this track sitting on the table, probably from someone walking around, walking the neighborhood, going to door, door to door or whatever, they left this track. So I started reading this pamphlet because it just intrigued me. I mean, I had a knowledge of God. I wasn't living for God by any means. but So it talked about heaven, and it talked about hell and God's love. And then back on the back of the track, I had a picture of two different paths, and people were walking on these paths. And of course, you can kind of figure it out. One path led to heaven. One path led to hell. Okay. So I'm reading this track, and I remember holding this thing. And something just came over me that I had never experienced before in my life. It wasn't fear at all. It was something like someone took the warmest blanket and put it over me and just covered me with this thing. And it freaked me out. Okay, it just freaked me out because I was sitting there holding this pamphlet. And I remember I dropped that thing and I got rid of it. Because I thought, okay, there's something, or there's something up with this thing. And it was just, it was the craziest thing, but I knew it was God. But at that point, what I knew is, like I said, I knew that was God. I knew more than ever at that point that he was real. I can't explain it. I can't tell you what, it was like a, the most comforting, like velvety type feeling, if that makes sense. And I couldn't explain it. I couldn't tell you how, it was just an amazing, amazing feeling. But it scared me, okay? because I'd never experienced that before in my life. But what it did tell me at that point in time that God was real, that God was realer at that point in time than he ever been in my life. I knew more than ever that he was real, but then I also knew more than ever that the life I was living was not following his path, and I was walking the other direction, walking the path where people were walking to hell. So encountering God at that point did something for me. It made God even more real than he had ever been. But then all of a sudden, the realness of me not following him became even more real. I had nothing to do with God up until that moment. And after that moment, I still had nothing to do with God. But I knew that he was real. This was no longer someone else's revelation of who, who God was. It was now my revelation of who God was. It wasn't that God was real to my dad or God was real to my grandparents. Now all of a sudden it was God was real to me. And there was some accountability that had to come with it. And that experience never left me up until the moment I gave my life to the Lord and fully committed to him about four years later. It stayed with me. I never, ever, ever forgot that encounter. People need to know, folks, he is real. People need to know that God exists and that you can encounter him today, tomorrow, and forever. Encountering God is not a one-time event. 
God needs to be a part of every aspect of your life, and encounters need to be a regular part of your life. God is not distant. God is real. God is a part of our everyday life, and he wants to be. We can encounter God on the regular. This is what living a Christian life is. And I'm not talking about just some warm, fuzzy feeling moment. I'm talking about the moments where you know God is real and he becomes more and more real to you every day. For those of you who do not know God, he can be made real to you. For those who do know God, you can grow closer to him. James chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8, it goes on to say this, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You can look at many individuals in the Bible who met God and encountered him and have testified to the incredible benefits of knowing him and knowing God intimately. And personally, through these powerful encounters, their lives were changed. Listen to me, folks. If you're at the place where you feel distant to God and that God is not real, you have to begin to act on what the scripture says. You have to begin to act on it. You have to position yourself to draw close to God, and as a result of that, he will draw close to you. Well, I just don't feel like I'm close to God, or I just can't, I don't feel like I can hear God on the regular in my life. It's very simple. Draw close to him. Even if you can't hear him, you cannot understand, you don't feel like he's talking to you, draw close to him. You know, Riley, she's seven, and uh, I asked her, you know, sweetie, you know, going to bed, I said, you know, I know we're trying to make her go to bed on her own to where she doesn't need mom, you know, in there all the time. And I'm trying to get mom to, you know, realize she doesn't need Riley to go to bed, you know, anyways. <laughs> and so Riley gets a little scared. So I said, sweetie, just, just stay in here and talk to God. Talk to Jesus. And I said, let me ask you, have you ever heard Jesus speak to you? And she said, no, how? How does that happen? I said, well, I'll just tell you this. Would you just keep talking to him? You'll get more and more familiar with his voice. And so last night we were doing the, our devotional and uh, just doing the daily Bible reading. And I was sitting down with her and we're reading it together. And, and uh, I said, well, here's the scripture. I said, sweetie, what scripture stands out to you? And so she points at a scripture where in essence it's talking about how Jesus is telling the disciples, you're going to be dragged in front of the courts and persecuted and everything like that, but don't worry about defending yourself because the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to speak at that moment in time. And so she said, this one stands out to me. I said, well, why? And so she says, well, if, if we trust God when, we're, when we have to say things, you know, in her own words, we trust God when we have to say things, then it's just a good reminder that he is always with us. And I said, absolutely. I said, well, how can we apply this to our lives? How can this benefit you? And so she says, well, it's like, because she had a fever and she stayed home. She said, I was worried yesterday that my fever wouldn't go down and because I wanted to go to church. So I was worried that my fever wouldn't go down. And you know what? I just have to trust that God is with me. I said, absolutely. Absolutely, that's what you do. God is speaking to you and he's telling you that. Well, it's funny because today, a good friend of mine is preaching in this 
this uh, believers rally back in North Dakota. And so just the Holy Spirit just prompted me, just encourage her or whatever, because she was a little nervous, you know. And uh, so I just, hey, you know what, just want to encourage you today, praying for you, praying for your message. And she talked about how she was concerned about her message, if it would be received by people. And she was worried about the end result. I said, well, wait a minute, let me show something to you. Let me share this with you. Riley's little devotional last night. So I sent that to her based upon the words of the, the little devotional and the scripture that Riley picked out where Jesus was talking about when you're dragged before individuals and you don't know the words to speak, just trust God and he will give you the words to speak. And so I shared that with her and she said, oh my gosh, that is just God speaking to me. So what I do is I go back to Riley and I said, Riley, let me tell you something. You said you have a tough time hearing God speak to you. Well, you know, last night when we did our devotional, that's God speaking to you. Well, how? So I said, sweetie, this is what happened today. She was kind of miffed by the idea of that. But understanding, she begins to understand, wait a minute, that is God speaking to me. And so what is going to happen? The desire that she's going to have is she's going to want to encounter that more in her life. Right? Because it's going to be a familiar scenario to her. And so as she has that, it's her job, and of course will lead her, to continue to draw close to God, to continue to experience that, continue to position herself by reading the Word, so forth and so on, right? So she can encounter God on the regular. So she can experience that on the regular. And if you're in that position in your life, you have to understand that God is not distant, that God wants to embrace you, that God wants to give you encounter on the regular, but you have to draw close to him and he will draw close to you. So I want to look at individuals from a different background in the scripture. I want to take a look at these individuals because I want you to show, I want to show you what happened when they experienced an encounter with God, how it changed their life. So we're going to take a look at Moses real quick. Exodus chapter three, verse one, flip over there for me. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. This is Moses' encounter with God in the burning bush. Many of you know the story, but for those of you who don't, I want to go over this. So Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. Verse 2, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked... He saw that that bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over there and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't this bush burning up? Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush. I want you to note this. God called out to him from the bush and he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses answered, here I am. So here you have a man who has no real knowledge of God. He is doing life and he is satisfied in a life absent from God. Roughly, he's around 80 years old and probably thinks that this, this is the best life is going to offer me at this point in time. Until he encounters God in the burning bush. God speaks to him and calls him by his name. Moses, Moses. And Moses responded to that calling. At that moment, folks, listen to me. At that moment, God became real to him, and Moses now had a choice. 
Because understanding this, Moses' knowledge of God was non-existent. He lived a life that was non-existent of God. It wasn't the fact that he was defiant towards God. He just didn't know about God. And now all of a sudden, God appears to him in a burning bush, speaks to him, right? And so what Moses now knows about God is real. He encounters God on a level that he's never experienced before, but now all of a sudden he has a choice that he has to make. Either he can ignore God or he can respond to him. But regardless of what choice he makes, he had an encounter with God, and that encounter made God more real to Moses than ever before. And he could no longer deny the existence of God. And this is why, folks, listen, this is why we have to make sure that as a church, we go out and give people every opportunity for them to have an encounter with God that is real. Why? Because all of a sudden they're going to be faced with a choice. You now know God is real. Are you going to ignore him or are you going to follow him? That is our job. That is our position. That's what God put in front of Moses. Now, all of a sudden, Moses had a choice. Moses responded to God. And what did God do for that 80-year individual? God called him to become the leader, to lead the Israelites out of hundreds of years of captivity in Egypt. Moses responded. God responded and stepped up and called Moses to be one of the greatest leaders that this world has ever seen. Second individual I want to take a look at. We're going to take a look at the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Turn over. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says this. Now Saul, which was his name prior to God changing his name to Paul, now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, the Christians, right? Understanding, let's give you a little background real fast. Who Saul was is he was an individual who killed Christians. He was nasty. He was not a nice guy, okay? Not someone you want to hang around with if you believe in Jesus. And that's why it brings us up in the first verse. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and he requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women belonging to the way, which is the way is the way of Jesus Christ, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's going to the high priest to get permission to continue to persecute Christians. And if he founds, finds anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, he's seeking permission to imprison them. Going on in verse 3, and it says this, As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, falling to the ground. Listen, folks. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul responded this way, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And the voice responded, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. Here you have a man who's roughly 30 years old. He's very knowledgeable about God's laws and ways. He believes with his whole heart that what he is doing is serving God while persecuting Christians. Until he has an encounter with God while riding on the road to Damascus, God speaks to him 
and calls him by his name, at that moment, folks, God became real to him, and he had a choice to make. Well, Brian, he had knowledge of God. Yes, he had knowledge of God, but that knowledge of God and his beliefs of God was not the real God. He knew about God. He just didn't know God. But at that moment right there, God became real to him, and Saul had a choice to make. Do I hold on to all this knowledge I have about God, or do I let it go and have a relationship with God? He had choices he had to make. And regardless of what choice he made, that encounter with God made God more real to Paul than ever before. It surpassed his knowledge. And he could no longer deny that the life he was living was contrary to the ways of God. That's why we want people to have an encounter with God. Because there's many people who have knowledge of God, but that knowledge of God is not of the real God. They don't understand who God is. They've been living their lives based upon traditions and religious beliefs, and they have religious mindsets and mentalities, and they do not know who God is. And people have to have an encounter with God so they can make a choice. Do I dismiss all the knowledge and the ideas that I have of God, and do I follow the real God? Do I have a relationship with God? Do I forsake everything that I've learned about God and give all that up to really know God. Paul, Saul had a choice to make. The choice that he made was to forsake all that stuff and follow God. And God called him to be a great leader of the New Testament church. And he flipped the world upside down. He had a choice to make. The last person I want to take a look at is a Samaritan woman. John chapter 4 verse 19. John chapter 4, verse 19. I want to take a look at this woman. Amazing woman. So in this chapter, Jesus traveled from Judea to Galilee, okay, passing through Samaria, a region that was despised by the Jews. There he meets a Samaritan woman at a well and engages in conversation with her. So understanding this woman, she had a, and she's not named, but just understanding who she is, she had a very complex background that made her an unlikely person to have a conversation with Jesus. First, number one, she was a Samaritan. And a Samaritan was a, were a group of people who were despised by the Jews for their mixed ethnicity and religion. Secondly, she had a poor reputation in her own community. She came to draw water at noon when no one else was there because she was shunned and rejected by the other women for him, her, immorali or him, her immorality. She had been married five times and was living with a man who was not her husband at the time. And then thirdly, she was a woman, which meant that she had a low, low social status in her culture. Women were not supposed to talk to men in public, especially not Jewish men or rabbis. But despite her background, the Samaritan woman had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And we, we pick that up in John chapter 4, verse 19. It goes on to say this. Sir, speaking to Jesus, sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Verse 21, Jesus told her, believe me, woman, 
An hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Verse 22, it says this, You Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is, is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Jesus then tells her, I, the one, am speaking to you. I am He. Jesus reveals to this woman that he is the Messiah for the very first time in the Scripture. He tells this woman that he is the Messiah. At that moment, folks, God became real to her, and she had a choice to make. Either I can ignore God, or I can respond to him. But regardless of what choice she made, she had an encounter with God that God was made more real to her than ever before. And she could no longer hide in shame from God. Jesus told her, lady, you cannot continue living a life of sin or you can live for me. That's your choice. Because now all of a sudden you know that I am real. You know that I embrace you. You know that I am willing to defy traditions to come and talk to you at a well when you're not even supposed to talk to men. You're in the midst of adultery. I'm not even supposed to talk to you. You've been shunned by everyone in your community. You can no longer hide in shame because you know that I am real. You know that I am true. Lady, you have a choice to make. You can continue to live in your sin or you can follow me. Jesus lays it out to her. Because you Samaritans worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know. But an hour is coming and it is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Lady, you can no longer doubt if God wants to have a relationship with you based on your past or based on your current way of living, but you have a choice to make. Worship what is false or worship what is true. This woman was so full of sin and shame, yet she had an encounter with God, and she became the very first person that was told by Jesus that he was the Messiah. According to a lot of religious beliefs, that should have never happened. Because you know what? Yeah, we're not supposed to associate with people who are dealing with sin like that. Come on, you can't talk to them. They can't come to your church. But yet Jesus defied all tradition, all religious beliefs, all crazy thoughts that people have had about who he is. He goes to this woman. She makes a choice. He reveals that he's the Messiah. First time. First time. What does she do? How does she respond? She left that town and began to shout to the rooftops, I have just met the Messiah. I've met a man who told me everything about me. I've met the Messiah. Despite her background, the Samaritan woman is well known. She became one of the first evangelists in the Bible. She chose to follow God. She had an encounter with God. She chose, she made a choice to follow God and follow his ways. Listen, folks. In our church, in this church, we are going to have our Moseses. We are going to have our Pauls. 
and we are going to have our women at the well. We are going to have those who have no clue about God, and they need an encounter with God. We are going to have those people who think they know God because of their knowledge about God, or they have these ideas and beliefs about God based upon experiences of the past, but you know what? They need an encounter with God. We have those people who are living a life of sin who think they can't have a relationship with God and others who think they can't have a relationship with God because of the way that they're living. And you know what? They need an encounter with God. And from that, folks, listen to me. From that, this is, this is where we believe. This is where Stace and I believe. From this, from this core value, we are going to have leaders we are going to have leaders who will lead this community or lead their communities. We are going to have influencers who will turn the world upside down, and we will have the rejected who will preach the goodness of God. From that, from people who have encounters with God. We see, we see this all the time where someone will come into the church and maybe they don't smell very good. Okay, Maybe they've lost their way, but yet... We, we will say this, Stacy and I will say this. How do we know that that person's not the next Apostle Paul? How do we know that that person's not the next great evangelist that this world has ever seen? How do we know that this person's not going to come up with a solution or be a leader to, to uh, individuals who are experiencing bondage in their life and have never experienced what freedom is? How do we know that? We don't know that. But you know what? They deserve an encounter with God. We believe that every person who walks this earth can have an encounter with God. And when they turn to the Lord, that veil will be removed and the glory of the Lord will be revealed in their lives. People need to know him. And as a church, we are going to give people every opportunity to do so. And I say this, and I've said this to my team over and over and over again, the people walking into this church we facilitate an encounter with God, okay? We facilitate an encounter with God. And if you're on this leadership team and if you're working on this team or you're a volunteer in this, in this place, listen, I always tell these guys, come, be prayed up, be ready to go. Why? Because we need to create a space that people can come in and feel comfortable and have an encounter with God. And there's three ways that we do that. We believe that we do that. Number one, you walk in these doors, you're going to experience worship, you're going to see people worshiping God. And I don't know how many of you, I've, I've had this before, but I've gotten worship and I said, man, I don't know, God's doing something to me. I, I can just sense God, God doing something with me in worship right now. Boom, encounter. If they don't get an encounter through worship, the second thing is, is encounter by the word of God. When I get up here and preach this word of God, it's not based upon head knowledge or whatever. But you know what? I pray and I believe and I seek God for a message to give you guys every day and, or every Sunday. And I don't know if you've said this before, but I've said it before. But man, that message just really read my mail. God was just speaking to me through that message. Boom, encounter with God. And the last thing is this. If you don't get an encounter through worship, you don't get an encounter through the word of God. That's why we have people up here praying every, after every Sunday. We do not want anyone in this place that needs prayer to leave this place without prayer. You can come up and you can get prayer and you can come with someone who is part of this community that can pray and believe you or believe for you to help lift you up and help pick you up and pray for the things that you're dealing with. Boom, encounter with God.
We facilitate an encounter because an encounter of God is going to give people an opportunity to experience who the real God is, and then it's going to give them an opportunity to make a choice. Either you're going to follow God or you're going to follow your own ways. But you know what? As a church, we are facilitators of those encounters. We go create those encounters for people. We carry the Holy Spirit of the living God on the inside of us. But you know what? Every time an individual I talk to or pray with, I believe something's going to happen. I believe something's going to change. And I believe that for every individual who walks in this church. And that is our core value. Everything that we do runs to the core. If things seem off, we go back to the core. If things are not running smoothly or whatever, we go back to the core. Are we giving people an opportunity to have an encounter with God in their life? We need to help facilitate an atmosphere where people can meet God because people need freedom in their life. And that is where we're going to pick up next week.